You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thursday edition Locked On NBA. What is it, day 97 maybe in the bubble for Ben Gulliver? Not quite that high. I think I'm just shy of 90, but, uh, you know, you could tell me it was 120 or 40, and I probably wouldn't be able to fact check you. I mean, it all just kind of runs together. You know, we're Groundhog Day. Easier, harder than you expected? It was a, a right in line with expectations. I think the hardest part for me was when the wildfires hit in Oregon. And, you know, hearing my, my parents dealing with the smoke and there's still the pandemic going on and hearing a lot of people displaced in entire towns that I've been through, just completely wiped out by the fires and feeling so disconnected from them because I can't even walk three miles down the road, let alone fly 3,000 miles to, you know, give my parents a hug. I mean, I think that was one of the tougher parts for me of just when the isolation and the confinement aspect really kicked in. But in terms of the, you know, covering the games, you know, I knew it was going to be this crazy marathon, you know, kind of a, a sprint marathon. We were just doing game after game after game after game. Um, that part was was right on expectations. But uh, the overall duration, I mean, it, it definitely looking back, July feels so long ago. And, you know, it's kind of similar. You know, the, the period between like when the league shut down and then when the um, bubble started is almost the same length as like from when the bubble started to when the bubble ended. And I think that the last three months just feel so much longer than that down period that we had just because so much stuff has happened here. You know, it's every day. It's been a new story. Do you, um, you try when you decided you were going to go in, obviously you want, you were going for the story and then you got the, okay. And then you had to mentally prepare yourself. Where were you most mistaken and where were you most accurate to what the experience was going to be like? Well, I think the, you know, the biggest, you know, misconception for me, I guess, like coming in was, are we going to be safe or not? Right. And I knew there was so much fear and concern before I got here, the stress level. And I remember you made a comment like a month before we got here, you're saying, well, you're going to the safest place on earth. And I was like, well, that's what I want to hear, but I didn't really believe it. It's like, all right, we'll prove it once we get there, because I'm thinking I'm living so carefully in isolation in Los Angeles. I'm now I'm going into a place where I might be in elevators with people and, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of at the whim of whoever the weakest link is. And I think actually getting here, I felt safe very quickly. The protocols were very strictly enforced. Um, they were almost overbearing. I thought I was going to come to a situation where like, I wanted things to be stricter than they were. And in reality, it's like, now that we're into it, you know, they're sending us these daily text messages and reminders and make sure you charge your proximity alarm so you can maintain a social distance and all these things after months and months of doing it. And it almost feels overwhelming at this point. So that's uh, that was the biggest difference for sure is just the level of safety that they've been able to achieve and also maintain for as long as they have. Um, you know, in terms of what I expected, kind of living up to expectations, it's just the quantity of basketball. I mean, I knew I was diving in headfirst into an experience that may never be, be repeated again. You know, Locke, since the second round of the playoffs started, I have attended every single game the NBA has held. Oh my gosh. I haven't been there for the entire game because sometimes they're doubleheaders, so you get a little bit late in the second quarter or the third quarter. But I've been to every single one, every single post game after every single one of those games, right? And just logistically during a normal year, even if you had a transporter, you had like a bullet train or you're, you know, you've got a private jet to get from city to city, you would never be able to do that in a normal year. And so 
to me, that's like one of the coolest things that I can say. It's like if there was a playoff game in 2020 from the second round on, I can promise you I was there. And, and uh, you know, that's kind of what I was hoping for. I mean, you know me. I'm a, I'm a completist. When I get to summer league, I want to stay all the way until the end. I want to see the champion crown and all that good stuff. And, and it's completely lived up to my expectations from that standpoint. Really interesting. You know, I've shared with people, they've asked me, what did you, you know, everyone wants to know. And I'm like, well, I wasn't there. And they're like, oh, what do people tell you? And I talk to somebody in the bubble virtually every day uh, for the first probably five or six weeks when the Jazz were there. And what was interesting to me is early on, there was this feeling of like, wow, this is really intense and overwhelming and all those things you just mentioned with the text messages and the this and the that. And then the first report came out that everybody tested negative. And then the emotion I got from people was almost this guilt. Oh, I went to the gym today and worked out inside a gym, which none of you can do. I feel bad about it. Like this, <laughs> the, like that moment, I, I think, and you know, you're going to write your book, but I actually felt like from the outside talking to people on the inside, the moment that the first tests all came back negative was like a big flip in everyone's mentality who was inside the bubble. Well, I would say for me, I, I had a similar feeling of just immense privilege, even when I was still stuck in my hotel room for the first week and I realized I was being tested every day. And it kind of went through my mind of like how many people in the world have access to pretty quick response, daily coronavirus tests. And I was thinking like, I'm not even just top 1% here, right? Like I'm top 00001%. And you look around the, the country right now, you've got White House officials and the president of the United States and other politicians who all, maybe they had access to those tests, but maybe they didn't quite, you know, follow the guidelines as strictly as, as we did here in the bubble. And for me, it was an immense feeling of privilege. And yeah, guilt probably kicks in a little bit too. And I'll tell you this, now that I'm getting ready to leave, the, the anxiety and the apprehension kicks back up, right? Because, you know, you got a taste of what life was like without the pandemic for three straight months where it really was on the back burner for a lot of people. We didn't have to think about it. Yes, you're, you're complying with all the rules and that's a kind of a, a daily annoyance of going through the procedures, but the payoff is you really don't have to worry about getting sick because uh, they've done such a good job controlling the environment. The idea of, you know, potentially on Saturday flying across country with a whole bunch of people who haven't been taking it as seriously as we've had to take it here and reentering society is, is uh, it's not overwhelming, but it's certainly on the front of my mind. And I'm already thinking back to, you know, reestablishing the habits I had, you know, back in March in terms of being diligent and, and vigilant around my house and, understanding I'm not going to have the peace of mind provided by daily tests, uh, you know, once I return to the, the normal world. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on here mentally uh, locked for sure. And I think that's why guys like LeBron and other stars have mentioned that throughout the way um, this bubble does tr uh, play tricks on your mind a little bit. You know, it was interesting. I was, and this actually we weren't necessarily going to talk about this today, but so I was watching the WNBA finals last night was when Sue and Brianna and the storm win their fourth title. Um, last time the storm lost a finals game. I called it. I just thought I'd point that out. It was 2004. Um, otherwise they've swept every finals they've been in. Uh, Holly Rowe, I thought was like on the verge of getting choked up because she realized it was over. I mean, I don't want to speak for her, and I know Holly really well, so hopefully she understands the respect I'm giving her. But if you watched her in that, as she was describing the experience and talking to the player, she was there was an emotion, but it 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 was this kind of like, oh my gosh, this once in a lifetime thing we've all been through together, as hard as it might have been, is over. I mean, I don't want to say like it was the end of summer camp, but it felt a little bit like that. 
No, I totally get that. And I mean, you'll remember back in March how focused I was on this idea of crown a champion, find a way to crown a champion, right? Do it as safely. I was even telling you, hey, if you have to scale the playoffs down, whatever you have to do to make sure that the rule book is not empty, you know, or the history books rather in 2020 NBA finals champion, you have a name to put in there. That was my highest priority. And right now we're, we're taping this one win away potentially for the Lakers from being crowned. And if you go into the Disney world gift shop, they have t-shirts, NBA t-shirts, Disney t-shirts that, that have the, the phrase crown a champion. And I just think it's a really important symbolic victory for the NBA. I know the ratings have kind of taken a beat in the, and they're probably in a situation right now where maybe your third fiddle to the NFL and, and baseball playoffs and, uh, you know, college football or, or whatever else. But to me, it's a remarkable achievement. They were able to pull this whole thing together. There's definitely going to be some bittersweet feelings leaving. I'll, at the same time, I've already shipped a lot of my stuff home. I am looking to sort of reenter uh, something closer to a normal life, uh, you know, here within the next week or so. Um, I'm not going to say that I, I'm going to be sitting here crying to leave, but I do think once we go from having nonstop basketball for three months to having no games to cover in about a week, the sadness is going to kick in pretty quick, right? I mean, you're, you're definitely going to be feeling the distance and the absence from the competition and from the excitement of covering the games and the adrenaline rush and the stress and, and all that stuff that goes into this particular job. So for me, yeah, I'm already mentally preparing that, uh, you know, a couple of weeks down the road here, it's going to be nice to have some sense of normalcy back. Uh, but at the same time, there's going to be a you know hole where uh, basketball has been filling it here for the last three months. Obviously, we're holding this conversation because we do suspect this is just about over. We will get into the Lakers' three-one lead and how we think the Lakers will react and what it means, and try to put some context onto what we are experiencing. Today's show brought to you by Rock Auto. RockAuto.com where they treat the professional and the do-it-yourselfer all the exact same, where they have an incredible collection and easy-to-navigate amount of parts for you. You're not beholden to just whatever that traditional chain store might have, where you endure the pointless, often intimidating and questioning questions and this, and, oh, this part works better, but it's really the only part they have in. Actually, at Rock Auto, they give you reliably low prices. As I said, same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. So why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their how did you hear about us box so you know who sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. You might actually need RockAuto.com because uh, you haven't driven a car and, and like, is your, your car might not, like, it might not work. No, it's funny you mentioned that. That's actually one of the first things I'm going to do. You know, I, I have a lot of late nights on the L.A. freeways coming home from Lakers games. And so you can, you know, they're eight-lane freeways or whatever, so you can get up going pretty fast without too much trouble. I was thinking, yeah, that's probably going to be one of the first things I want to do is just take my car out and, you know, hopefully find some, some empty freeway and just zone out a little bit because I haven't driven a car since July. Uh, you know, I haven't walked further in one direction than a basically <laughs> 1.5 miles um, since July. So, I got a lot of catching up to do. How do you think, let's assume the Lakers are going to win. Sorry, Heat fans. How do you think LeBron reacts to this? Well, I think you saw it a little bit in game four when Anthony Davis hit that shot, right? I mean, he was so excited, genuinely excited, stomping the court, 
high-fiving Anthony Davis, almost knocked his hand off. I mean, I think he's going to be very, very, very happy. Now, I think it'll be somewhere between the original Heat celebration and the Cavaliers celebration. Obviously, he got choked up and cried when the, when the Cavs won. I'm not sure it's going to go to that level. Um, but I do think it's going to be a bigger, more um, sense of achievement type celebration than the Heat. I mean, remember in, in 2012, he just danced on the bench, basically. He just bounced up and down, and, and that was sort of the end of it. I think this one is going to be a, a bigger uh, celebration just because of the sense of relief um, and because of just, you know, mission accomplished. And, and they went through an awful lot to get here. And the planning started all the way back with, you know, Anthony Davis's trade request, you know, more than 18 months ago, basically. So this has been a long journey for this group. Um, and there's been some ups and downs even during this postseason. I mean, I, I realize right now we're talking and they're like 15 and four, I think, in the playoffs. I think that's a little bit misleading. I mean, they've definitely had some challenges here. Game four, they got pushed pretty darn hard by the Miami Heat. And I think they came out of game four feeling relieved and satisfied as much as like conquering heroes. You know, I mean, I think it was much more of a, a situation where they were glad it wasn't 2-2. They were glad they weren't going to be in this dogfight with Bam back and everything else. Um, you know, LeBron called that game four before it took place, one of the biggest games of his life. I think a lot of the reason why he said that was because um, the Heat caught his attention with that game three win. Do you think this was – I've always wondered this. Do you think LeBron went to L.A. to win a championship? Or do you think he went to L.A. because it was just the right place for him to go, family, life, TV, production, empire-wise? Oh, I think that both can be true. You know, I think that the, the second part was absolutely a major factor, no question. But I also think that he had the self-belief that – you kind of put him anywhere and you give them enough time to build a team around him and he can compete for titles and he just wants to have that chance. Right. And you can understand why he would have that perspective. I mean, when he leaves Miami in 2014, they completely fall by the wayside and, and Cleveland now is going to some four straight finals that builds up a level of self-assuredness that like, Hey, wherever you go, you know, you're going to be in the mix. Um, obviously the, air of invincibility that he had for so long was pierced pretty bad the last season. And, you know, I, there was definitely moments where I thought, look, his, his title window as like a main guy is probably closed. He's going to have to figure out some sort of a different formula here, especially when he's dealing with that groin injury during last season. And he's trying to turn it on down the stretch of last season. They just can't even make it a playoff push. I mean, it, it really looked dark there for a while, but it's been an incredible turnaround story for the Lakers. They've done it, you know, in, overnight, I guess you would say in, um, in NBA terms, at least, you know, going with a, a new front office, a new coach, a new superstar, uh, a bunch of free agent signings, you know, kind of mercenaries coming out, along to fill in the roster. And, uh, you know, here they are, you know, kind of on the doorstep of where LeBron wanted to be. Um, so I think that he believed it was possible, but I certainly was more skeptical than I was when he went back to Cleveland, for example. They hear this collection of talent. Denver's a collection of talent with Jokic, who's great. Jamal Murray was superstar. Does this just reconfirm the superstar theory? You just put the best players together on a team and just put the rest of it together. It doesn't matter. Well, look, it's tough. I mean, I think the two best players in the bubble overall were LeBron and AD, right? So if they win the title, like, what are you, what are you really supposed to say there? Um, it's, it's pretty tricky to work around that. They've gotten some great contributions from guys like Rondo, Dwight Howard, KCP. Those guys have all had their moments here. Um, in this postseason run, but a big reason why those guys are having success and having these rejuvenations is because they get to play with the talent. And, uh, you know, that talent kind of, uh, you know, it's like the tide. It, it, all boats rise with it. So 
I think that's a, a takeaway here. I also think that even these collections of talents that you're describing were shorthanded in part because of injuries or other circumstances to do with the bubble or to do with the coronavirus, right? I mean, the Nuggets dealt with a whole bunch of positive tests, didn't have Will Barton. Miami is pushing so hard just to get to the finals that I don't think it's a coincidence that their top three players all got injured in game one, right? Um, I mean, to me, that's the sign of a team that's been working and pushing itself to the limit and, you know, maybe went a little bit too too hard, uh, you know, in that first game of the finals. So I think that the, the underrated story for the Lakers it's not just their pure talent, but it's their ability to manage it from a minutes, a workload standpoint, and then also the mental standpoint of realizing that don't bring yourself out early. It's going to be a marathon. Make sure you pace yourself and you're ready to go in the biggest moment. So uh, I think it's a little bit uh, from column A and column B, but yeah, I think if you're a fan of a team that doesn't have anything approaching a superstar, you're looking at this bubble and thinking, well, Lakers got two guys who are better than anybody on my roster. And, you know, the, the Lakers are going to be, uh, you know, higher up on the standings and the, the preseason predictions for next year than my favorite team. Some of the X's and O's have been pretty incredible in this series, in this bubble, because maybe it's just because it all looks so familiar. So you can kind of translate. But the, the story in the first few rounds was the off the bounce three, right? Donovan Mitchell, Tyler Hero, um, Jamal Murray. I feel like we're watching the league evolve into next year's defense already. So, in other words, like a little bit of AD on Jimmy Butler and what Jimmy Butler lacked last night was the the off-the-bounce three. Like, if he'd had that, maybe he could have dealt with that better. Miami's done some interesting things where every time LeBron comes off a pick, they actually keep two guys on him, bring a third guy. They get into full rotation, the old-school way you used to when Olajuwon used to have it in the post and you go in full rotation, but they're actually doing full rotation out at 30 feet. Like I think there's a bunch of X's and O's things we're seeing in this series that are going to be the trend for the upcoming year, particularly defensively. Well, yeah, I think a lot of times the best teams kind of set the trends for everybody, right? And so every the whole league was in Golden State's mold for like three or four years there. And I think there's a strong argument now with Anthony Davis's emergence is like he's going to help set the trends kind of going forward, right? Like if you want to be a contender, you're going to have to have a defensive option for him. Otherwise, he will just sink you. You know, we saw it happen to Houston. You know, P.J. Tucker held up for about three quarters. He's an unbelievable defensive player, but that is not like a long-term solution P.J. Tucker in small ball is not going to stop Anthony Davis over the course of a series. So you're going to have to retool there um, if you're a team that has, you know, that kind of or has pursued that type of philosophical approach previously. I think you're going to have to correct back the other way. Um, You know, and I also think just, um, you know, from what you're describing uh, defensively, the Lakers best lineup to me is when they go interchangeable and when they're just trying to be as disruptive as Miami's tried to be, um, you know, from that standpoint. And so, I still think even though the Lakers played big a lot and their centers have gotten a lot of attention, when Davis has gone to the five, when they put five guys out there who can kind of switch whenever they need to switch, when they can uh, move their feet on the perimeter, and when they can uh, you know, still rebound pretty well with their size and, and length across their different positions, that's kind of when they've been at their best. And so I do think that that actually kind of continues a trend that we saw with the Warriors when they had Kevin Durant where – they wanted to have like kind of, you know, five options that you could sort of, uh, you know, use seamlessly or as much as possible. And, and Houston was trying to get there too. And I do think that like the best basketball we saw, especially during the finals was basically with two centers who aren't traditional centers, but who are totally comfortable defending in space, who are comfortable handling the ball, who are comfortable as scorers, but also as passers. 
um, you know, and, and who are very mobile and long and athletic. And I think um, you know, that position, uh, the center position rather, has been kind of overlooked a lot uh, over the last couple of years. You see a lot of teams just trying to fill it in with like the Daniel Tices of the world or the Dwight Howards of the world. But I think if you want to win a title, you're going to have to have one of those versatile big men who can do a lot and is comfortable defending, you know, three, four, and maybe even five positions. Interesting. Interesting. There's always takeaways. I was looking at it from the defensive standpoint so far, so that's interesting. By the way, how are the built bars? Did they get to you okay? Oh, man, I've been plugging them on all your shows, Locke. I've got all these locked-on people calling me up and saying, hey, let me get a take from the bubble. So every time I try to get into built bar talk because I've gone through probably uh, – I don't know, three quarters of the box. Maybe that's a little much, maybe half the box, but uh, I've been having them uh, late night, you know, midnight, 1 a.m., you know, trying to power through some writing and, and they've been great for that. So you've basically truly used the built bar as though it is the, they say it's the, the protein candy bar and you've been eating it when the rest of us are eating candy bars, you've been being healthy. I'm trying, you know, look, uh, I'm not going to lie. I put on a little bit of weight in this bubble. The food has not been the healthiest day to day. My decisions have not always been great, but I've also been working super long days, so there's kind of no way around it. Um, but the Bilt Bars, uh, I give them a thumbs up. There's so, no doubt, and I appreciate you sending them. Through. I sent you the 15-pack, right, or the 18-pack, whatever that – like the, the mix box, right? I swear there was more than 15, man. This thing is gigantic. It's like, actually I feel like 18. I've been eating them for it's two weeks straight, and I'm still only halfway through. Yeah, it's 18, I think. It's all 18 flavors, right? Didn't I, isn't that one flavor of all the flavors? I think that's right. There's a whole, they have a bunch of different chocolates though. That's the thing. You, There's like seven different kinds of chocolate. Do you have a favorite? There was a peanut butter one, I believe. Okay. I've heard um, that. I, I think, I think whatever the peanut butter flavor was probably my favorite. Now I've heard that. I've also heard the coconut almonds, like an almond joy. I'm a can't eat nuts. So I don't know. Well, there's the peanut butter. There's the peanut butter brownie. There's lots of them. Get your Built Bars at BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code Locked On, and you get $10 off. Right now, by the way, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. They just launched a strawberry bar. $12, 12%, 12% off every order. Why 12? Because 12% of U.S. women will have a form of breast cancer at some point in their lives, and their focus is that 12%. So help us raise 50000 to support breast cancer patients and their loved ones and bring awareness to the struggles these women face. 100% of the proceeds from the hoodie sales and your donations will go to these organizations that support breast cancer patients and their families. So go to BuiltBar.com You can get uh, all sorts of different, you can get your bars. They're all on sale at 12% off, or you can use Locked On for $10 off your order and do as ben golliver does and eat healthy things instead of unhealthy things when you're still working late at night uh coaching carousel what's your choice with all the when they were all open pelicans houston okc philly clippers pacers those six what would have you taken I'm taking the Clippers, but uh, look, I mean, it's it's not the best reason in the world. I mean, it's basically just Steve Ballmer's pocketbook. You know, I think that he's operating on just such a different level from all these other ownership groups. I mean, spending $2 billion for the franchise, more than a billion for the arena, $400 million to clear out another arena. He's invested in his front office. He's upgraded the practice facility. He's paid Doc Rivers to go away after kind of a humiliating exit. I'm just trying to make sure I've got a good agent, and I'm telling him, look, get me to the Clippers and get me every last penny. And look, if I have to make it work with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, that sounds like a, a really a daunting task. If I have to put together that locker room after a tough season and a tough exit, 
that sounds like a pretty challenging task. Do I have to say goodbye to Lou Williams? Do I have to campaign to keep Montrez Harrell? I mean, there's a lot of questions. Do I have to find a new point guard uh, who can actually handle the ball as an offensive player to support Kawhi a little bit? Those are all open questions, but ultimately like Balmer's operating on a financial level that nobody else is. And it just feels like that's the move. You know, it's like if Google comes along and you're a programmer, you're probably going to want to go work for Google. I feel like that's sort of uh, the situation that the Clippers are in right now. There are so many Paul George trade rumors right now. Do you think that there's <laughs> any legitimacy to him? Are they all, is he just the clickbait factory right now? Or do you think there's actually something there? Well, there was a little bit of smoke coming out of that series about, okay, how did Doc handle his superstars? Did some of the supporting cast guys resent Paul George? I think that we need to put into context, Paul George has moved a lot, number one, right? So, like, this idea that he's somehow untradeable um, or, oh, well, he wanted to go home to L.A., so therefore he's going to be in L.A. for the rest of his career. But the stories have changed a lot for Paul George, right? I mean, first it was he wanted to be a, you know, a fisherman in Oklahoma City for years and years and years. So I think we have to be open to the idea on the other side, as I mentioned with Ballmer, I mean, not only is he rich, he's completely committed to trying to win. You could argue maybe potentially even too committed, right? Too obsessed with it. Um, I do worry about like their, their culture and their chemistry long-term. Are you going to be able to keep groups together with an ownership group that is so willing to just kind of like spend and move forward and try to push the envelope? Look no further than the Blake Griffin trade. It was a great trade. It had to be done, but it was months after they – uh, re-signed of that contract, and it was very cutthroat and came off as cold. I think that he would do that trade again 10 times out of 10. I just think that's who he is as an owner. Um, I think that's part of their organizational philosophy. And it, personally, if they traded Paul George, I wouldn't be shocked because just because he's been traded multiple times previously and because the Clippers have shown the willingness to like make a really bold moves if they have to improve, does that mean they're going to do it? Not so sure. I mean, I think ultimately it comes down to how happy is Kawhi Leonard with Paul George? If Kawhi Leonard still believes in Paul George, I don't think they'll trade him. Paul George is making $30 million. Karis Levert makes 16 next year. Spencer Dinwiddie makes 11. Karis Levert, Spencer Dinwiddie, and a pick or two to fill the coffers that they gave up for Paul George. Does does the Clippers do it? Well, I think if you're Brooklyn, you love that idea because you have too many guys there, number one. You've got two separate rosters and a new coach, number two, and you've got to consolidate those pieces and, and try to get a third star. Um, I think that's going to be your formula. So I think from Brooklyn's standpoint, you're loving that idea. Um and I actually think that they need more than their two stars right now. Like I, I'm, you know, kind of selling stock in this idea that Katie and Kyrie are going to be this amazing team up and they're going to be able to have, you know, instant success like LeBron and AD. I just don't see it. I'm not really a believer in Kyrie. I think they need, you know, a, a, another reliable piece there. If you're the Clippers, the problem is you're so pot committed to this group. You know, you, you sold it to the public for so long and you also paid so much to get Paul George that, the trade that you're describing, that's basically taking back, what, 40 cents on the dollar a year later? And the tricky part is, you know, Paul George is an upcoming free agent. Um, this season did not go according to plan. But I think it would be a very tough sell internally, unless there's some, like, real locker room poison that we just don't know about, uh, to make that kind of a trade. Because, you know, it's just – imagine that package you just described for – 
know, if you did it straight up for Shea Gilgis Alexander and, and Gallinari and all the picks they, they traded Oklahoma City, uh, you would never do that deal in a million years, right? And, and I do think, um, you know, sometimes the weight of your previous decisions can hang over your decision making process. In this case, I feel like it would. The question to me on the Clippers is how scared are they of how like bad it could get if they lose these guys in free agency with no picks coming? Well, for sure. I mean, look, they took a massive gamble. They are very over leveraged. Um, they've got a, you know, it really all comes back to their relationship with Kawhi Leonard, because look, if he continues to play like an MVP candidate, which he was this year, if he continues to be one of the best players in basketball, which he showed, you know, at a lot of stretches um, of the postseason, you're going to be able to kind of retool things around him with or without Paul George. Right. And you've got to ask, where would Kawhi Leonard rather be? He had his choice in every market. He's the one who chose the Clippers. Right. So, I don't, I don't think you want to be in panic mode if you're the Clippers. I do think you want things to kind of settle down. I do think you want to double and triple back with Kawhi to see where his head's at. And it's difficult for us as media members because Kawhi's never really going to tell us what he thinks. Um, but, you know, ultimately, like if I were them, I would be trying to, um, you, know, not go, you know, not go too crazy after that humiliating exit and to try to just preach, hey, let's take another shot at it and see where it goes. You know, ultimately, if you're able to re-sign Kawhi Leonard, but Paul George moves on somewhere else, that's a hit, but it's not a devastating blow. You can still be a competitive team uh, retooling around Kawhi Leonard, especially if you've got an owner as committed as Steve Ballmer. Um, so, you know, ultimately, your, your real bottoming out scenario is that somehow you anger Kawhi Leonard so much that he wants out. And I think at this point, they, they should feel pretty confident that uh, they're a good spot for Kawhi. They did a great job managing his health this year. Um, you know, they have catered to him in every possible way off the court. And I do think that counts for something. here. Ben Golliver, we always appreciate your time. Next time I talk to you, will you be forever on vacation or will we talk next week? Oh, I'll be glad to talk to you anytime. You know that. Um, right. And I, I should be back at home. Even if the series goes seven, I believe uh, I should be back at home at that point. So I look forward uh, to it, it will be uh, a different reality. We'll talk about what's next for the NBA next week. There were some interesting comments about no Olympics and January and February starts and things of that nature. We'll, we'll dig into all those things next week. Maybe we'll have some coaching positions filled. Maybe not by then. Ben Golliver, enjoy your final days in the bubble. Thank you very much for the time today. All right, thanks, Locke. Take care, man. It is Ben Golliver, Locked on NBA. Anthony and Adam will be with you tomorrow, so make sure you get that. Also, Josh Lloyd with the daily Locked on Fantasy Basketball recaps all that's going on in the NBA with great team breakdowns going on right now as well. It's all part of the Locked on Podcast Network.